Hello internet, this is Coffee Time Council and I'm Hafiz. Today I'm with... With me, Adi, as usual. <laughs> nah, this is the third episode. <laughs> yes, this is our third episode. I hope to be a, you yeah. know, a usual person here. If, you, if you're already listening for the third time, I think uh, you can assume that Adi is a permanent uh, here. Of course, it's permanent and with me. So it's just going to be two of us. So <laughs> don't expect anyone else to come in. Well, nothing is set in stone. <laughs> Next True. episode is going to be someone else. <laughs> True. Maybe we're going to invite some uh, VIP oh, guests. Okay, so okay, you yeah. may... You don't know, people. So you don't know. Do not underestimate the power of Kupitam Council, all right? <laughs> Talking about underestimating people, our is it we underestimating our uh, youth leaders? Case in point, Shad Sadik. Oh yeah, definitely. That's all I can say. <laughs> okay, episode over. <laughs> <laughs> That's the end. Thank you for listening, everyone. So, uh, is he guilty? Are we are we gonna start there, or are we gonna talk about people previously also being charged and conveniently acquitted? Oh yeah, that's very spicy right now. Mm-hmm. Why, why is it that um, some people who have uh, close ties with the government right now are conveniently acquitted, while people who mm. are in opposition I uh, wonder. are being called in? Uh, especially people that's prominent inside Sadiq. I cannot, I cannot uh, uh, make the puzzles, but uh, maybe you can, Adi. So, and then us. All right, question for the philosophers. Uh, but then, you know, me being uh, not as smart as I think I am. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, um, it's, you know, it's the typical Amno uh, playbook, really. Like, let's look at the parliamentary session. That is, okay, by the time this episode comes out, it's already over, right? Yeah, yeah. so this is in retrospect. So uh, anything that happens that goes against what we say, you know, we don't take any responsibility for that. <laughs> but yeah, I mean... Um, Looking at it, uh, you know, Amno is always the Amno style of politics is always that they, you know, people they don't like, people they find a threat against. You know, they'll first try to coerce you. They'll try to bring you into the fold. You know, hey, why don't we work together? You know, you have quite a lot of influence. You have a lot of clout. Uh, you know, we could reward you handsomely for this. Uh, so that's the typical uh, playbook. And if you know people who are against uh, the status quo that they've uh, established. Okay, easily you get uh, charged for something, and I think the um, if you get let's say fine or something like that, uh, if you charge for some uh, an amount that's about above two thousand five hundred, you have to uh, let's say uh, bifurcate your constituency as an MP. This is what they're trying to do with Lim Guanung and other opposition members. So you know, Said Sadik, popular guy, uh, household name basically in Malaysia, all across Malaysia. So, you know, it's convenient, especially for someone that's been actively campaigning for, you know, lowering the voting age, automatic uh, voter registration, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Always for youth, which I think at this point, the old guard, especially in uh, the current government, are quite afraid of right now. So this is, could be a typical intimidation tactic just to get him to back off. Uh, you know, typical, really. It's always been happening if, you, if anyone's been noticing Malaysian politics. Yeah, it's, it's like uh, Shad Sadiq said, like conveniently, days before convening the parliament, he was, because this charge was issued by the court in Octo- I think October last year, but the government actually waited for almost a year to actually go and uh, catch his ass. But, sorry, my language. Uh, but, do you, I, I, okay, I know this is uh, the oldest trick in the book for Amno um, here, but uh, isn't it, isn't it giving more power to people like Shed Sadiq? Because before this, I think this is a move that legitimizes uh, Shed Sadiq as a politician. 
because before this he was just like you know doing his his humanitarian uh, effort like giving laptops uh, apa the 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 campaign satu rumah satu laptop something like that which is very very uh, i think in 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 for, for a 27 year old mp i think that's amazing by any standard even even najib who was born uh, out of a silver spoon never done that to his constituents this is a guy who was just uh, what two times three times deba- champion debate champion and then came into politics because of uh, an opportunity that he had took uh, under the wing by Tun Mahathir two or three hours, years later he's the savior that we can see in Malaysian politics like no other mps no other M- i'm saying this across Anwar Ibrahim across parties. Uh, you, you name anyone, no one done like he did. This is the youth power that we keep talking about. Like you know, like gonna bring changes, whatever. These are the changes. This guy just raised four hundred thousand ringgit just to make his head bow. That's four hundred thousand. I don't know equivalent to maybe one thousand laptops to Moar's uh, voters. Do, do do you do you see this as? wrong move by uh, TSMY. Oh, I mean, the whoever's in charge of trying to get him prosecuted. I mean, this has been happening for how many years already? People's always trying to get after him, trying to expose him for some kind of uh, fraudulent or some kind of uh, shifty uh, arrangement that he's made or whatever, whether or not it's true, that remains to be seen. But, you know, it's been he's been harassed uh, quite a lot of times just for the fact that he, I guess, really, for the fact is that he controls a lot of uh, uh, coverage over young people. So in a way, he can be seen as kind of a game changer, not just by his actions, but by his uh, persona, his aura, basically. He's projected himself as, like I said, a household name. Everyone knows who he is. And like, it's, uh, if he, you take, he's almost symbolic in a way for young leaders in Malaysia coming up. So, you know, I think it's a, it can be seen as a false move by whoever's trying to get after him because the more you go after someone that is has not really many strikes against him, the more you would see him as like a martyr, as a figure that's, okay, this guy's fighting for, you know, what what you can consider right or beneficial for everyone. And what you do, you, you know, trying to put him, all this kind of uh, nonsense on him. You you know you 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 can make a you sli- you can kind of slap yourself in the face and you know is you give basically like this okay I'm gonna give Hafiz a gun right and I tell him not to shoot me right mm-hmm. you have the power I ask you to shoot someone but you pistol with me with that gun mm-hmm. it's the same thing mm-hmm. it's like you you know Muhyiddin and Sadiq they came from Bersatu right and you know Sadiq really rose through the political ranks through there in quite a short amount of time so he's been given a lot of uh, political leverage a lot of uh, currency for. Uh, there and then in the end uh, you yeah, yeah you paint him out to be this you know you've saved you or something like that and then what you do you trying to get after him and he's going to come back after you no he's not going to come back after you the people that's behind him thanks to the support you gave as well you're just gonna you know pay, you're making him a martyr basically so I think in a way and I think a lot of people are already getting pissed off about this like you know why this guy's done nothing really done nothing wrong Uh, so, is this a legit case that being brought up? Uh, uh, that one I really can't say for sure because, like you know, uh, you know, people I've talked to that um, okay, this was on Clubhouse the other day, who were quite close to Sadiq, were quite close to him. They, you know, they 
they are quite consistent in their evaluation of him. You know, hardworking, diligent, uh, stern and disciplined when he needs to be, but also quite you know a cheery person. And you know, based on his track record, the consistency kind kind of give us a rough guide of whether or not he's really capable of wrongdoing or not. I mean, you, you know, if he wanted to you know sell his soul for you know for monetary gain, financial gain, he would have done that a long time ago, to be honest. So based on this logic of consistency, I think you know it's far fetched to assume that he is guilty. Really, I think I have no concern over him being whether him being a, a, a crooks or what not. I I think he is a very legit and honest person. But I also think because of again I'm going to bring this uh, uh, issue again his age. So I think the naivety maybe comes in here because what uh, allegation that I heard that he actually. One million ringgit out of uh, Bersatu account, without any uh, meeting, being called for to 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 withdraw such amount of money. So uh, maybe this was done because of his ignorance, because of his naivety, that he he think he was doing a good thing, helping maybe people that needing. Uh, I mean the party uh, missionary maybe at the time and with. Uh, With 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 consent from the uh, uh, party president at the time at TSMY and also Tun M, so why would he be worried? Because these two people just like okay, just take it because we maybe uh, because uh, also I heard that uh, at that time Bersatu was deregistered, and they had to you know they they, they need some financial uh, resources, so they need to do this without convening it because there was no Bersatu because uh, if you got deregistered there was no meeting to be held. So that was his his argument, but again, uh, I think this is just maybe he was trapped to a corner at the time. It, he didn't know any better, and uh, he I think I think he could be seriously facing that uh, sentence. Uh, I think five years in jail, ten years in jail. I think so, something around that. Yeah, that's that's quite for an honest mistake. You mean for an honest mistake? Yeah, yeah. I mean. Um, I mean, it's kind of shifty, to be honest, given the circumstances, like, not shifty in the sense of his character, but, like, the situation is quite uh, vague. So what do you do? Like, you know, like you said, maybe the naivety plays in, plays a role because let's look into his background here. He, you know, he didn't climb through politics like a classical uh, political career. He was an influential person. He held quite a lot of sway. So, okay, bring him in. That's just, and that's where the political education, you could say, or the insight into the minute details of Malaysian politics really just like came uh, all in one fell swoop. Like, um, I mean, if you, if like people who are in close proximity with like how Malaysian politics are dealt with, you, you know, it's normal for them to see that you know, there's a lot of backstabbing in a way or there's some kind of uh, gray line or some always uh, like you're dealing with the devil in a way. Uh, the so devil, the devil. You mean Atun Mahathir? <laughs> you could say that. <laughs> That's up to you, really. <laughs> But in yeah, I mean, considering you never really brought up in that kind of uh, environment, not, not let's say Najib, who you know had political acumen when he was young, since he, because the father's position, so he knew the in in and outs from a young age. Uh, Said Sadik maybe not be, may not be the case. He came from quite a humble, uh, you know, he has a very humble big origin. His mother was a teacher. The father was a civil servant. Uh, so you know he may not have been exposed to the political environment, the political landscape 
which is uh, it's a monster to be honest. It's a complete nightmarish monster that we have as a political system. So you know, naivete. I mean, that is a that could be a good justification. Experience also is another one, and you know, I think in a way we should really just if that's the case, you know, Malaysians. I guess we can be quite forgiving for the fact, you know, but uh, the judiciary is another thing entirely. Yeah, but I think uh, you know, in the end, I think it's gonna. This actually gonna be. Uh, there's a lot of silver lining here for 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 Sadik because I think first of all, this will legitimize his uh, uh, him as a politician in Malaysia because we need that. And, you know, any any legendary politician must went through that uh, bar in uh, Kajang. Is there still Kajang jail? Or I don't know. Uh, it's a rite of passage, basically. Right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like you, you must graduate from these places, you know, to be a Malaysian, Malaysian politicians. Uh, so, why? I mean, okay, just within 24/7. Uh, I mean, 24 hours, 700,000 was collected for his uh, law fee and whatever bail fee, bail out fee. Is that the that's is that the symbolism of how we Malaysian can be united against one cause that you know against this is basically a classic a classic case of David and Goliath here you know said Sadiq very young naive young politicians against you know the crooked uh, Azmin and the and the gangs you see this as uh, some kind of parallel you mean and also like a hope. You know, like I'm getting at, like the hope for Malaysian to see that actually, despite all this, actually moving towards a better place. I mean, um, you could say Sadik's story is the story of an underdog fighting against this, you know, monstrous uh, Goliath uh, bureaucracy or the system that we have. So you know, I think you cannot deny the fact that how many thousands of people, in the tens of thousands of people, registered for Muda. Uh, which they were very um, transparent about in how many people joined. I guess you know it's a rallying cry, really. His uh, position as uh, what he is now, I think, has paid a lot of dividends to him right now than when he was in Bersato. Like a lot of people see that okay, he's starting his own. He wants to disrupt politics, right? So a lot of people, you know, advocated, for, uh, kind of related to that kind of uh, message, and they went for it. So I guess in a way we did. You can say our Malaysians are quite unified in a hope for something better than what we have right now. If the sentence is uh, confirmed and everything, do you see Muda can survive without their president? I think the objective for youths to empower themselves, I think, will still remain uh, eternal. Uh, you know, it's something eternal within our psyche. Really. In the form of Party Muda survival. That could be the. I mean, that's really hard to say because we don't really see that many uh, individuals that stand out compared to Sadik's uh, figure. But I think, based on an ideological perspective, I think there will be some hardcore uh, Muda supporters that will still remain to fight the cause. Uh, maybe some will see that okay, this is the end for Muda. It, it's, it's hard to say because you know people are different, and some will see Muda associated with uh, Sadik himself. Some see Muda as something larger than Sadik himself. So you know, like, if the symbolism really is strong with his uh, character, I think that spirit will carry on with 
supporters and the membership really to continue the work that he had his okay in the case that he gets sentenced or whatever people would still want to take up and honor the spirit that he carried forth uh, it's sounding like he's <laughs> this is uh, this gang <laughs> like almost is in danger or something <laughs> but i also think like all uh, political parties above all spectrums also should ride the wave of youth empowerment right now and should steal the their piece of the pie because you know uh i think especially uh parties like amno were long overdue for its youth uh, empowerment we have their i think zahid is the last uh youth uh what do you call it? youth uh ketua pemuda youth chief there's uh been the president of the party but not prime minister of malaysia so so it's uh, precedence is set here now we're going to have uh, people uh, waiting in line because you know Amer- uh, i'm not is full of bureaucracy full of uh, uh protocols we we the uh, you know respecting your elders whatever do you, do you see people like kj maybe want to write this and to uh, justify his movement internally within them knowing that he is the uh, uh, he has a min- he's a minister right now federal minister uh, and he's one of the among uh, amno members that actually he being hated right now because they are actually part of the government so do do you see him leveraging on this like to split open amno and take out all those uh, cluster makama and uh, move on with these people and especially youth uh, members I mean, factionalism in Amno is not really a new thing. But I mean, you see the people that's uh, rallying behind KJ. It's not the the typical Amno stock where they just find from the kampung they bring you up into the party. It's uh, people who are a bit more on the higher end of uh, society, on the higher strata, social strata. People who um, were quite educated to a very high level. Bangsawan. Yeah, and Syarif Hamdan also. Uh, but these are the people that uh, I think KJ has, uh, you know acquainted himself with and these are i can say based on the amno structure few and far in between so if he wants to you know start some kind of faction take over something like that i think he would tell he would have to endear himself to the more grassroots elements within amno because he cannot really change amno from within the machinery is too large and too cumbersome to make wide sweeping reforms um internally So that is the situation Amno is in. you know it's a huge um, complex machinery with hierarchy you have you know pemuda Amno Amno wanita whatever so you know, this is like it's a microcosm in a way it's it's a microcosm it's each of these entities are microcosms in a bigger macrocosm which is Amno and navigating through that is going to take a lot of um, leveraging KJ has the you know has the prestige of uh, coming from a decent family he is educated however that he is in a way kind of separated from um, the every man or the every woman within amno itself so he's not really relatable in that regard other than that he has that um that f- how do you say charisma in a way but that is where it ends how do you identify how is can a regular person identify with kj other than that it's almost like you're saying that kj should pick up his bags quit amno get Ravizi and Nuriza form a party and everyone it's a win-win situation for everyone 
Yeah, but people would argue that, you know, Rafizi should be PM. It shouldn't be KJ. It should be... So this, this, you know, these are very viable candidates for prime minister. Like, you know, I did like a poll on Instagram the other day and um, like, who should be the next PM? You know, the alternative for PM. So some suggestions were KJ, some were Rafizi. And these, um, the, the results I got was never some kind of majority. It was always half and half. But tells a lot about split. your circle of friends <laughs> on, on Instagram. <laughs> no, no, the thing is, is that um, it's along with other uh, politicians as well uh, who cut across uh, parties. And I find that people like, I, okay, I look at what people said, right? Which person said yes or no. So it was, it was very um, diverse in a way. There was a lot of vibrant uh, diversity and variety in how they went to make those choices. So there's a, it's a going to be a conflict of interest from public opinion if uh, KJ is to exit and form with uh, Isa and Rafizi, who do you think should be PM? Like, who is the most capable? Who is the most popular? These are the metrics that we'll still have to decide whether or not these younger, young, younger leaders uh, are capable. Uh, so, you know, there's a lot of competition there as well. But um, I think, for the benefit of Amno, I think Amno would be, um, they would be very remiss to let go of KJ if KJ leaves because he's still quite a strong contender within the party itself. They can, can keep the Amno intelligentsia uh, in place. The you know the decision the, the thinkers in Amno. He's able to consolidate that even Amno, and losing that would be a huge loss to Amno as well. Do you see KJ Nurul Iza Ravizi and Shet Sadiq will be ever in one one party together and one roof? Uh, well, this is hopeful thinking, but I hope so. But I know. Uh, You know, there's, there's always this uh, pop culture idea, you know, KJ versus Said Sadiq. <laughs> so uh, if they don't let their egos take over, and to be honest here, Said Sadiq is uh, derived of uh, any kind of egoistic tendency, so that's good. But KJ, you know, he has, uh, I notice he's quite temperamental in a way. If you see it's like his press releases, sometimes he can be charming, he can be very suave, but sometimes he can be very vicious in his in what he says. Not as uh, diplomatic as Sadiq in handling the press, so... You know, this is a battle of characters, really. Uh, recently, I, I I heard Prabowo on Dedi Kabuzer uh, podcast. He said uh, when he was asked why he accepted the the appointment of being a minister of defense of Indonesia after losing immediately after losing uh, to Jokowi in presidential election, he said that uh, yes, they were in a battle. But when the fight is over, when Jokowi was clear, uh, announced uh, the winner, that fight was over and they had the same idea, which is to devote themselves to Indonesia, to, to Merah Do you see that kind of spirit or, or action in Malaysian, especially in Malaysian politicians, where they put aside their, I don't know, whatever self-interest, whatever party interest, uh, race interest, to just be a Malaysian? And you know, work for the better Malaysia. I think it's very difficult to compare like Indonesia and Malaysia in that context because Indonesia, you know, despite it's a questionable history in trying to homogenize uh, the people there, it's homogenous. People uh, think more about uh, Indonesia. Indonesians think more about Indonesia itself, while Malaysia was still fractured along ethnic lines, uh, race and racial lines, uh, religious lines. Now it's getting to more territorial lines as well. Like, you know, Sabah Sarawak becoming a bit more, trying to be a bit more assertive in trying to, you know, make this narrative that this, it's the other, really. The underdog other. So uh, trying to get together 
as a you know, one thing, right? It's very difficult because that means surrendering certain uh, privileges, you know, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, you know, that some people hold to make sure that everyone can equally, you know, prosper in a way. And, you know, once you have a taste of power, do you really want to let go of that? You know, so we never really, and that's really comes from the problem that we never really cultivated, like, uh, in a way, uh, what's the word? Political liberalization. Uh, so, you know, during the 70s till 90s, it's always been focused on economy, 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 economy. We have to boost the economy. But it was at the cost of, uh, you know, proper, good, uh, the idea of good governance that, wasn't re- that was kind of put to the wayside. We'll develop that later. And it's developing now, but at a time which it's needed the most. So I think, you know, coming to a bigger, you know, the bigger cause, which is Malaysia, I think these are mostly notions and tendencies I think are more prevalent in uh, metropolitan urban areas really like um, because these people let's say the urbanites they have more leeway to think about these things to be more mindful of these things they're more exposed to um, multicultural interactions so they're a bit more they're more aware of these things so if you that's already another problem the urban rural divide which is still another uh, problem which we segregated along those lines as well so you know, uh, sad to say, even though we talk about you know bottom up, we empower from the bottom up. Who's thinking about the bot? Who's who's devising these bottom up approaches? It's still people who are more privileged, more educated, and better positions to, uh, you know, I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to say that uh, you know rural people don't think about these things. It's just that the priorities are different. They you know they don't really think about these things because it's not of immediate concern compared to people who are more comfortable in urban areas. So. Uh, it's hard to say really because there's going to be a movement like you know one Malaysia satu uh, bangsa you know bangsa Malaysia all that uh, I think this is really going to be something that's pushed forward by the you know so-called elite or privileged or people who are more comfortable basically yeah basically we have a, a Malaysia, Malaysia try in different way of trying to homogenize in you know we have literally different narrative than uh, let's say indonesia like like you said like uh, d- uh, despite the dark history that they had trying to homogenize their citizen in malaysia we try to be more uh, so called civilized about it uh, what's your thing is your thing my thing is my thing but in the end this is the very thing that we have to to solve because we don't deal w- we don't deal with this when we could afford to l- do some errors. Now, there's no... the, the it, Politicians have to tiptoe around these uh, issues and and it never good... They, and the, the goal of the conversation is never to address the issue. It's just to, you know, put it under the carpet for other people to deal with. And, and you have leaders like... Uh, pr- prominent leaders just not... Um, uh, what do you call this? Not giving more thoughts on this. So, if... These are the very people that we rely on this to solve the issues because they are the most influential people we have in this country, but they themselves not doing anything about it. So where's the hope for us? And and for um, and this is just on top of a lot of issues that are already happening and and piling up in in our country. Talking, I want to bring this conversation back to Shet Sadik. Yes, we see. I I. I'm not really a fan of Shet Sadik, but I I I I give my uh, you know uh, 
uh, press went where with these uh, with all, all his uh, satu rumah satu laptop campaign which is very 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 good but do how do how should we the uh, uh, regular malaysian rakyat marhain make sure that all of his effort not going to just die like that how we can continue from this make it as an inspiration to 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 draw inspiration from shit sadik and then spread it around like how we spread covid-19 <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay well, i cannot say how we can make the you know calculation uh period is since covid but uh, i mean let's look at uh the spirit that muda and said sadik has represented They've taken people from you know all walks of life, you know, rich and poor, different race, different religion. They were very accepting of that. They were very accommodating, from what I've seen. Like um, you know, Muda Sabah, they have some real Sabahans, you know, behind that, and that cuts across different lines as well, from race to religion to you know geography. So if we, like you said, you really want this whole like um, really united Malaysia, I think people have to be. They have to look at what. Buddha is composed of like, oh wow, this party they can you know work together with all kinds of people, right? So that means that there really isn't a problem like you know, racist uh, preconceived notions that one might have, might someone might grow up with, because like you you mentioned that um, how we deal with racial dynamics. Okay, you do your own thing, I do my own thing. Yeah, that's fine. I think that's the the balance we need to strike. However, the problem really lies is when you you know. You 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 encourage an environment where being so like um, how do you say I don't really want to say this off too directly I'll just say it directly like you know it's the ne- it's you know we have the rhetoric that oh if uh, the Chinese take over they're going to erode uh, Malay agency or you know stuff like that so it's that kind of narrative that makes it w- makes it you know makes a neutral situation worse really because a neutral situation you know it can tip left or right very very easily so you know it's uh, it's when you use narratives which uh, i mean we, that's why like i said you have to be a bit mindful of our differences you know people are different um but you know that's easier said than done and you think people who are less you know prioritize these things really care so you know let's look to muda as an example they can do it so most of us can do it But whether or not you buy into the idea that you can do it, that's uh, another topic entirely. That's another thing entirely, really. Well, I always have this uh, idea in the back of my head. That I think the all the 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 uh, what do you call the solution to all of this thing is just to separate uh, Sabah, Sarawak, and Semenanjung. <laughs> let's let's have let's ex- let's uh, create three microstates. So that they can do as well as Singapore, you know, uh, with their authoritarian government, but yet very successfully economically speaking. So yeah, so we could have like another what two, four Singapore in in Southeast Asia, hooray is for everyone. <laughs> Sabah exit, Sarah exit. There are things I will fight with true passion here, and it's going against that argument. I will go against any notion of uh, Sabahan or Sarawakian independence. But All we right. can, you know, let's tease it for another day, maybe. Yes, that's I think another uh, topic for another day. So uh, if you like, uh, if you like to hear that from Adi and me, uh, comment on our social media platform and also on uh, Facebook, uh, 
Instagram and YouTube. All right. Thank you so much, everyone. Goodbye for now. Goodbye.